1 Chronicles 19. After this, Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, died, and his son reigned in his place. David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So David sent messages to comfort him concerning his father. David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon to Hanan to comfort him. But the princes of the children of Ammon said to Hanan, Do you think that David honours your father, in that he has sent comforters to you? Haven't his servants come to you to search, to overthrow, and to spy out the land? So Hanan took David's servants and shaved them, and cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. Then some people went and told David how the men were treated. He sent to meet them, for the men were greatly humiliated. The king said, Stay at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. When the children of Ammon saw that they had made themselves odious to David, Hanan, uh, Hanan and the children of Ammon sent a thousand talents of silver to hire chariots and horsemen out of Mesopotamia, out of Aram, Maaka, and out of Zobar. So they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots, and the king of Maaka with his people who came and encamped near Medeba. The children of Ammon gathered themselves together from their cities and came to battle. When David heard of it, he sent Joab with all the army of the mighty men. The children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the gate of the city, and the kings who had come were by themselves in the field. Now, when Joab saw that the battle was set against him before and behind, he chose some of all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. The rest of the people he committed into the hand of Abishai his brother, and they put themselves in array against the children of Ammon. He said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you are to help me. But if the children of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will help you. Be courageous, and let's be strong for our people, and for the cities of our God. May Yahweh do that which seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him came near to the front of the Syrians to the battle, and they fled before him. When the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians had fled, they likewise fled before Abishai his brother and entered into the city. Then Joab came to Jerusalem. When the Syrians saw that they were defeated by Israel, they sent messengers and called out the Syrians who were beyond the river, with Shopak the captain of the army of Hadadezer leading them. David was told that, so he gathered all Israel together, passed over the Jordan, came to them and set the battle in array against them. So when David had put the battle in array against the Syrians, they fought with him. The Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed off the Syrian men 7,000 chariots and 40,000 footmen, and also killed Shopak, the captain of the army. When the servants of Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with David and served him. The Syrians would not help the children of Ammon anymore. <laughs> okay. So we're still in the couple of chapters where it's describing David's great victories. And um, this, is the, this chapter was told also in the book of 2 Samuel. And, um, you know, these messengers go and they have their clothes cut off at halfway so that their bottom half is exposed and their beards are shaved. It's all very, very embarrassing. It's what you call a diplomatic nightmare. <laughs> and, uh, you know, 
nations these days have their ambassadors, they send their messages, and sometimes people say the wrong thing and embarrassing things happen. Well, this is one of those diplomatic moments that results in war, but the result is, of course, David conquers. Through Joab, they conquer you know, Ammon, and it's just a part of the process of the conquering of David's army. But what's interesting here is that this battle, it said here that David sent Joab, so David doesn't go. He actually doesn't go to the battle until right at the end when they're in the last part, and then he goes and finishes the battle off. But he sent Joab off to the battle on his own with the army, and David doesn't go. This is the part of the story where the Bathsheba thing happens. And uh, in the book of Chronicles, the Bathsheba story is not here. We get the story of Bathsheba and all those terrible things in the Samuel account, you know, chapters 11 and 12, and all the consequences, but we don't get the Bathsheba-Uriah story here. This is when it happens, in this moment. This chapter just describes David's great victory, but doesn't describe the, th the thing that he did that was wrong. Now, it's not that the chronicler, the person who wrote this, is trying to pretend it didn't happen because everybody knew that it had happened. And um, the chronicler is trying to teach a lesson. And um, um, it's the same lesson that we all face. It's a lesson of grace. And we all know the, the Bathsheba story. We all know that David did the wrong thing, but at the point that David goes off to the battle, he's done the wrong thing, but Nathan hasn't come to confront him yet but God knows about it. So there's a, there's a moment in this story where God knows what David's done, and yet God gives David a great victory here over the, the Ammonites. And you'd have to say to yourself, well, isn't that the strangest thing? Why would God let David have a victory even though God knows he's done this despicable thing? Well, God gives us so many wonderful things even though he knows how sinful we are, and he does it all the time. God not only blesses us despite the fact that there are things in our life that are not perfect, he blesses us knowing we're gonna do things in the future that aren't perfect. Now you may say to yourself, oh, I'm not gonna do anything wrong, I'm gonna do my best to serve the Lord, and you should, but there'll still be things that you will find that you'll regret in the future because, oh, oh I didn't realize that, or you know, even if it's unintentional, we still do things, but sometimes we even do things intentionally and the Lord knows that you're going to, but his grace is still upon you. So we've got a lesson here about the victory of God, how God works through our lives to bring good things, even though we do terrible things. <laughs> it's a theological lesson. And the whole book of Chronicles is full of these types of lessons. But if you just read them as stories, you don't see them. But if you think about the stories, you realize, ah, oh, God knew that he had done that terrible thing. Well, why is he giving him a victory? And, um, <laughs> well, it's because the grace of God is the grace of God. God's not vindictive the way like people are. You know, like uh, people are just get so snooty. Like, uh, you, you imagine this for a minute. Imagine you, you're, you're working, you're in a job, and you, you, find, you think, oh, I don't really like my job. But you don't want to just quit your job until you've got a new job. So you start looking for a new job. But you don't tell your boss, of course, because your boss, you know, he, he might sack you if he found out you were, you know, disloyal. <laughs> so you're, you're putting in your resumes. What you don't know is that your boss owns one of the companies that you're trying to apply for. 
And so he looks at your resume that you've handed in and he realizes, oh. <laughs> now in the world, in those types of situations, people get vindictive. They say, ah, I don't want this guy working for me. <clears throat> Sack him. God's just not like that. God's so patient, like he's unbelievably patient and kind. Even in the stories where God eventually gets fed up and judges, it's after such a long period of time of patience and faithfulness and striving. Like with Saul, King Saul, all those years, 40 years of king, the Lord was so patient with him, trying to bring him around. Saul just wouldn't have it. And so that's just the Lord that we follow and the Lord we serve. He's so wonderful. And when you realize that about God, like what's in this story here, how God was so kind to David even though he did the wrong thing, it makes you want to serve the Lord even more. True grace, you know, the Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And some people think, oh, it's because of his judgment that we've got to repent. No, it's when you have a true vision of his kindness that you repent. A lot of people, when they think of God as judgmental, they hate him and they won't repent. It's actually God's kindness. And so these things are a revelation to us of how wonderful God is and it makes us draw near to him closer all the time. And so the Lord has this terrific way of turning a bad thing into a wonderful, wonderful thing. So the Bathsheba story, it's a terrible incident and yet the Lord brings good out of it. Like what we're seeing right here. Out of the Bathsheba, like think of the Bathsheba thing, for example. Out of Bathsheba comes two, she has ends up having five children, five sons. The first one dies very young. Then she has four sons. The third son is called Nathan. The fourth son is called Solomon. And both of them are descendants, ancestors of Jesus Christ. If you read in Luke's gospel, Nathan is the ancestor of Christ going down to Mary. Solomon is the ancestor of Christ going down to Joseph. If it wasn't for either of those sons, there'd be no Jesus Christ. Now, of course, God would have done it some other way, but God it just goes to show how the Lord turns these terrible things into such wonderful things. The Lord is always doing it. And we often think, you know, the Lord is a redeemer, right? So we often think of the Lord redeeming kind of a bit like, um, you know, uh, kind of like he pays for our sins. We kind of think of it at that level. We think, oh, he's redeemed me. But we, we still feel like we're a bad person. We're lousy, you know. Thank God he loves me, but that's all I've got. But no, that's not all you've got. The Lord not only redeems you by paying for your sin, he redeems the situation and completely turns it all around so the, the bad thing that happens becomes the most wonderful thing of all. There's actually, he's done this so many times. There's a modern example though, and it's, it's one of my favorites. And the modern example has to do with all these men and women that were taken out of Africa as slaves, and they were brought to the plantations of America. Now. Slavery, you know, it's it's terrible, terrible thing. God hates slavery. There's a whole book in the Bible about Exodus, about how God saving people out of slavery. It's a picture of God delivering us out of slavery to sin. God hates slavery. And that's a big discussion we can have at some other time. But in you know, at the modern in modern history, only just 150 years ago, people were being taken out of Africa as slaves and put into America and working the plantations. It's, it was a terrible thing. And there were people alive at the time who were Christians and they pointed out that it was a terrible thing, but there were other Christians who couldn't see it and they thought it was a good thing. So it was a terrible evil, but out of that terrible evil, how did the Lord redeem that situation? You know, there were people praying. Sure, there was a civil war. You know, fortunately over time, 
that slavery was abolished. But that, that's only a part of the redeeming. Out of that group of people, those African-American slaves, we have got gospel music. <laughs> and that gospel music has penetrated the church and Christianity all over the world so that you come to church on a Sunday and you praise the Lord with praise and worship music, you would not have done that 150 years ago. You would have gone to church and you would have sung organ with an organ or with no music. And your praise and worship would have been lifeless. I mean, you know, it was, there was life in it to a certain point. But think of all the good that's come out of gospel music, affecting the whole world for the glory of Christ, and even more. Out of those African Americans came the Pentecostal movement, a Sousa Street, a revival, fresh life into evangelicalism all around the world. That thing has lifted up Christianity and caused it to explode all around the world. You can't think of a better outcome of turning a terror, a scourge like slavery in America, turning into this huge blessing that has affected practically every church in the entire world with gospel music and Pentecost, the Pentecostal movement, the moving of the spirit, the touching of lives, the saving of souls. It's incredible. The Lord doesn't just redeem people, he can redeem an entire situation. And I tell you what, that's what he's doing in the world. Adam and Eve sinned. What a terrible thing. But the Lord is redeeming. <laughs> Isn't God good? I think it's amazing. That whole African-American slavery thing just amazes me. And I tell you what, we might not rejoice over the fact that it happened, but we sure can rejoice over what the Lord has turned it into because he's just amazing like that. So Lord, I thank you. You're a redeemer. You don't just redeem us from our sins. You redeem the situation that we're in. You redeem our lives. You redeem the planet. Thank you, Lord. You turn evil into good. You're just so wonderful, and we thank you for it. Thank you for this chapter of the Bible and all it means in Jesus' name. Amen.